0: here, and um, I love opportunities to be able to bring God's Word to you, and uh, Landon was going to be out this Sunday, so uh, just thankful for the opportunity, and uh, as you know, we've been in a series on Sunday mornings on parables. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus and things that um, they can teach us. Uh, When he gave us this... Uh, we, get, we got to choose between me, Ron, and Hunter. We got to choose which parables first that we wanted to teach from. and Instantly, I knew that I wanted to speak on the end times because it kind of fascinates me. I know it fascinates a lot of people to um, hear about the end times, to try to figure out the end times. Um, you know, I used to think growing up, as I'd heard many pastors before, speak on the end times. I always thought when I was younger that I'm definitely going to be around when Jesus returns, right? And now that the older I'm getting, the longer I live, I'm like, oh, maybe not, right? So uh, I know that everyone who's probably lived since the Bible days have always thought, I'll be here. When Jesus returned, he said, I will be back soon, okay? And so he calls us to be ready. But like I said, the older I get the less likely I think it might be that Jesus returns. But throughout history, uh, people have been trying to figure out what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. How will that all go down? As a matter of fact, Hollywood seems to think that they know a lot about what the end time events will look like. Uh, Maybe it will be some huge apocalyptic event. Uh, Maybe it will look a little different from that. But I'm going to show you uh, the top ten movies that Hollywood is trying to figure out about the end times and how maybe that will look like. First of all, we have this Left Behind movie. Anybody remember this movie that came out? Okay, this one didn't make the list, but the next Left Behind did make the list. So at number 10, we have Left Behind, uh, and this one made about $14 million. Uh, this, the next one, number nine, is the only movie that I have not seen. Uh, it was called End of Days, Arnold Schwarzenegger. $16 million it made at the box office. Number eight was Deep Impact. It made $140 million at the box office. Anybody remember this movie? It's one of my favorites. It's a pretty awesome scene. Anyway. Number seven. San Andreas. $155 million. Uh, It made a lot of millions. Uh, and I like how the poster says, we always knew this day would come, right? As many people have been looking forward to that. Number six, 2012. Of course, this went with the whole Mayan hype. And they said that they knew the mayans knew uh, that the end of time when that would happen 166 million the day after tomorrow anybody remember that one 186 million dollars it made at the box office number 4 probably my personal favorite armageddon right everybody seems to think maybe an asteroid's going to hit the earth and that's what's going to wipe us out uh, it made 201 million dollars now the last few are going to bring in the whole zombies and aliens thing. So number three, World War Z, 202 million. Uh, number two, the War of the War Worlds, 234 million. And then, of course, number one, Independence Day. We've all seen Independence Day. It was one of our favorites. 306 million dollars it made at the, at the box office. So people, all throughout. Uh, even our, in our day of age, they want to know what that would be like. Obviously, uh, either that or uh, there's a lot of people out there that just like special effects. Uh, so they go to watch the movies. They want to know how they can crack the code of when this end time event will happen, what it will look like. Uh, we have everything from comets, everything to hen eggs. Okay, You can research that on your own time. I was going to tell that story, but... It gets really weird really fast. So um, there was a guy named Harold Camping. And in 1992, Harold said that the end of the world would happen in 1994. Um, When that didn't occur, he said that Armageddon would happen 7,000 years after the flood. And since he quote-unquote knew when the flood took place and the date of the flood, he determined that Armageddon would occur on April the 21st, 2011. And on April the 22nd, 2011, he went back and he looked at it and said, I had a few miscalculations, and he changed that date to October the 21st, 2011. We all know that that didn't happen either. So, uh, of course, now he's gone on to, to make a few videos that... Uh, In in essence, and you can go research that on your own time as well, but in essence saying that he was right and this is why. But whatever. There was also another guy named William Miller. And in 1831, he claimed that the end times would happen in 1843. He claimed he had the ability as he researched the Bible to crack the code of the Bible to understand what it meant. And he said... And he changed it, when that didn't happen, to 1844. Now, this guy had a ton of followers. And you can go and look him up, William Miller. Uh, But one follower said this. This is kind of funny. I waited all Tuesday, and dear Jesus didn't come. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. So there was a lot of guys back then who sold everything that they had, sold their houses... Gathered up the money, and they kind of all waited around for this apocalyptic event to take place. And when it didn't, they were just sick with disappointment. The affair actually became known, uh, came known as the Great Disappointment. Um, and of course, does anyone remember Y two K, the big scare? Uh, these are actually a few magazine article or magazine covers: the end of the world, the insanity, and it says. Food supplies will be depleted, electricity will be cut off, the stock market markets will crash, telephones will cease to function. That would be terrible for teenagers, would it not? <laughs> Let's not lie, it would be for you too, right? I actually know uh, a guy who stockpiled his garage full of food and water in... in uh, uh, preparation for y two k and uh, afterwards he joked that he was watering his grass one gallon at a time, so we all know that it came and went, and nothing came of it there 's a story told of Martin Luther that one day he was hoeing his garden, and a friend walked up to him and he said, "What would you what would i what would you do if I told you that Jesus was coming back today and he looked at him and he said, Well I guess I would just continue to hoe my garden. And, you know, I've heard a lot of pastors use that story to illustrate the point that if we are indeed at the center of God's will, we would just continue to do what we're doing even if we knew Jesus would come back. Now, I'll just let you know I'm not totally, um, I'm not buying into that totally. Uh, one of the bad parts about having... Uh, surgery on my foot and having a cast for five weeks, and now having this lovely boot, is that I have not been been able to mow my yard. I love to mow my yard, believe it or not. And let me just say this before you come up and ask me after church: I don't want to mow your yard, okay? I only want to mow my yard. Uh, but I love mowing my yard, and it's one of the things that I miss. But if I knew Jesus was coming back today, I would not be caught mowing my yard. I promise. I would not be caught cleaning the house. I would not be caught doing laundry. Uh, There would be a lot of other things that I think would take priority over those things. If I knew Jesus was coming back, I would indeed. But it goes to show he's making the point that if we're in in the center of God's will, we would just keep doing what we do every day. Uh, A lot of people uh, who have come down with terminal illnesses you can, you can tell a lot about a person when they come down with a terminal illness and how they react to the situation and the hope that they may have even in dire circumstances you can tell a lot about a person and but i think if i were to be you know to get some terminal illness i would definitely seek reconciliation for anyone that i may have offended uh, make sure everything is right with my family of course call people and say i love them uh, People who I may not have said that to in a while, or I need to say that to. But I think my priorities would definitely, would definitely change. And it's not saying I'm not doing those things now. But if you knew your life was coming to an end, or if you knew Jesus was returning today, it would look a little different. It would for me anyway. Uh, in the, open up your Bible to Matthew 25. And we're going to read a story a parable that Jesus would tell in Matthew 25. And there are a couple, several parables here that deal with end time events as well as other things. Uh, and if you want to go back and kind of give a, get an overall picture of this talk that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. You can read that in Matthew 24 and 25. Because Jesus and his disciples are going to leave the temple in Jerusalem. And they're going to walk over to the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives, you would be able to see a beautiful picture of not only Jerusalem, but of the temple. So Jesus and his his disciples, they leave the temple. They go to the Mount of Olives. And they see the temple sitting there. And Jesus will begin to teach his disciples of the destruction of the temple and what that's going to look like. He would begin talking about the signs at the end of the age. And he began to tell them that no one would know the hour or the day that those things would take place. And the disciples wanted to know. In the same way that many of us today want to know. In the same way that all of these men have tried to figure out when Jesus is going to return. They continue to try to make uh, proclamations of when that will take place. And so all throughout history... We've been trying to figure this out. When is Jesus going to return? And let me just say this up front. If you think I'm going to give you a date today, you're wrong. I'm not going to give you a date. Uh, but we're going to talk about how our life should look differently uh, in anticipation of Jesus' return. So Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. This is something that you taught from that we don't know the day, we don't know the hour. So we are to always be prepared. Father, I pray that you would uh, open the hearts of anyone that needs to hear a message from you today. Regardless of whether we stand, whether we don't, regardless of whether we don't know you, whether we do, I pray that uh, this scripture uh, would speak life into us today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we have looked at in this series, a parable is a story taken from real life that teaches a moral or a spiritual truth. There's a few parables in which uh, this is one of them that is often called a parable of wisdom and folly. And what Jesus is trying to show us uh, as he teaches these is that there are some people who will hear the word of God and they're foolish in terms of their selfishness and foolish of their own self-interest. And Jesus is encouraging those people who hear that to take a different course of action. He's trying to Uh, Teach them how to become wiser and not be foolish in their ways of thinking. So the big idea of this text is disciples must be ready at all times for Jesus' return. As you look into this text, he tells how there's ten young women, ten young virgins, who were invited to this marriage feast. In biblical days, marriages would last, uh, the whole marriage would take several days And one of the first parts of the marriage is that uh, the groom, the bridegroom would go off and he would have his preparations. And then the bride's, then you had the bride and her party uh, preparing for uh, the bridegroom's arrival. Okay, now, unlike today, it was opposite. Okay, today weddings are delayed because the bride isn't ready. It's taking too long, the hair, the nails, all that good stuff, right? In biblical days, uh, the groom's preparation uh, obviously took a little longer because in this story we're going to see that everyone is sitting around waiting on the bridegroom. So he's off doing his preparations. The ladies are doing the preparations for the bride. And at some point in the ceremony, to kick off the ceremony, the bridegroom would arrive at the bride's house to pick her up. And that's when the party would start it. And that's where we see these ladies would take lamps. They would prepare the way. They would escort them to wherever the party was going to start. This was not at a set time. It was kind of uh, at the bridegroom's uh, whenever he wanted to get there, really. So we see it's the job of the attendants uh, to prepare the bride as well as to let the bride know of the bridegroom's arrival. It would have been a great honor to be selected for this task. And as we see in this parable, at some point, um, some of the ladies were wise and preparing for the late arrival of the bridegroom. Some were foolish and they did not prepare for a late arrival at all. So in the event of a delay, some were prepared, some were not. And the delay kept the bridegroom longer than expected. And we see that in that all the women fell asleep. Okay, I don't know about you, but waiting till midnight to show up, you're like, what is he thinking? But that's when he showed up. And they were all asleep. And suddenly there was a cry that went out. That the bridegroom was coming. The wise got up and they trimmed their lamps. Okay. One of the things that I researched this week is what those would look like. So here are a couple of pictures of lamps back then. These are something that you could just put oil in. You put a small wick in it, and you light it. Once the oil is gone, of course, the wick would burn out, or you would put it out so that it didn't waste. But it would burn quickly. So in preparation, they would bring extra oil, fill it up. So I'm sure that these were lit as they waited. And as they fell asleep, they woke up, and they were like, we got to trim our lamps. We have to add some more oil to it. And we see that the foolish realized that they were out of oil. And they asked to borrow some. They asked to borrow some from those who were prepared. And those who were prepared said, no, go get your own. And they actually sent them off, go buy some. Go to the store and get some. Um, Because they knew if they gave their oil away, they would not have enough for both them and for they. So those who were prepared... Uh, we see that the bridegroom shows up while they were gone. And those who were ready, those who were prepared, went to the wedding party, went to the celebration. And those who were not were left behind. And after the foolish virgins returned from purchasing more oil, they tried to get into the party. But it said that the doors were shut and that the bridegroom announced that he did not know them. So here's the first uh, thing I want you to... Key in on this, uh, in this text is when the bridegroom in this parable comes, it's immediately apparent who is ready and who was not. The women in this story represent us, the church. The setting here in the last chapters of Matthew is leading up to the Lord's second coming. and based on what we know from this scripture and based on our own observation, There are people within the church today who have heard the invitation of Jesus, who have outwardly accepted that invitation of Jesus. Maybe they've walked down an aisle. Maybe they've gone up to the baptistry and they've been baptized. Maybe they come to church every week. Uh, But if Jesus were coming back right now, if he were to come back right now, we wouldn't be ready to meet him. Some in the church right now, maybe even some of you sitting right here in this room, would not be ready if Jesus were to return today. And I think it would be no different. Back then, there were a lot of people who thought really highly of themselves. And they weren't ready. And there are a lot of people today who may think everything's great. Everything's fine. I go to church. I go to Sunday school. I even give money. I've walked down the aisle at VBS. I've prayed the prayer. I've I've gotten baptized. But it says, and this parable wants to teach us that not everyone who thinks they are ready are ready. The bridegroom at the end of this passage makes a very grim statement to the women who went, uh, who were late to the party. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is not the first time that Jesus would make this statement. If you uh, are in Matthew, turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 21. Says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you, if you like writing in your Bible, don't miss the word many. Circle it, maybe underline it, highlight it. Because there are a lot of people today, as scripture tells us. Okay, We've looked at two now that say there's a lot of people who think that they're getting into the kingdom of heaven. Who are going to be really surprised when Jesus returns. An oral confession of Jesus as Lord does not always indicate a repentant heart. Let me say that again. An oral confession of Jesus as Lord does not always indicate a repentant heart. Walking down in front of the church to talk to the pastor. Getting baptized. Those do not necessarily mean that you've had a repentant heart. But Jesus explains here that it's the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. You know, this parable, as I read it, at first I was like, do I really want to teach that one? Okay, yes, I do. This is a really scary parable for Jesus to teach, for the disciples to hear. It's scary. It's scary to think that many people who think that they're saved, who think all is good between them and Jesus, one day will stand before him and they will look Jesus in the face, I know Jesus, right? And he's going to look at them and go, I don't know you. Away from me, you doers of lawlessness. I don't know you. So it's a scary parable. I never knew you. So what are some lessons that we can take away from this parable? What are some lessons that we need to learn? First of all, let's look at this. First of all, only the life of Jesus can merit us forgiveness for sins. Sometimes in life, you can experience perks because of who you know. Yesterday, I got to go over to a friend's house. They're out of town. I got to swim in their pool. It was really good to know them, right? Uh, I've had a lot of friends who, when my vehicles break down, they're like, here, have our spare vehicle. You can use it. It's really good to know people like that some days. When I read this parable at first, uh, I thought it was very selfish on the point of the wise Uh, virgins, not to share their oil with the foolish virgins. Hey, we're out of oil. Give us some. No. That's kind of selfish. Why don't you share? But here's the deal. This is not a parable of selfishness. And there's a point to the story. When Jesus returns, when the bridegroom comes, we all stand alone. Does it matter how awesome your grandma is? It doesn't matter how amazing your Sunday school teacher was or your pastor was. It doesn't matter how good your parents were. We all have to stand face to face with Jesus someday or with God. And we have to give an account. And that's the point. Where do we stand before God? Where do we stand? Do we have, are we alive in Jesus? Are we alive in Christ? Or are we trying to do this on our own? Are we doing the will of the Father? So it, only the life of Jesus will merit us forgiveness of sins. Nothing else. And uh, we've, I guarantee you, all of us have some pretty awesome grandmas that love Jesus, right? That's not going to mean a hill of beans when it comes down between us and God. Number two. Lost opportunities cannot be regained. And yes, Hill of Beans shows my okiness coming out in me. Sorry about that. Lost opportunities cannot be regained. The foolish women set set out to buy more oil, but they were too late. I think there are a lot of people, uh, like this says many, who think that we have all the time in the world. I can do that later. I can serve later. I can worry about my relationship with God later. Life is stressful right now. Life is busy. And I will get serious about it when life is a little less stressful. Um, we talked last week about the parable of the, uh, the guy that built bigger barns. He built bigger barns. He tore down his old ones, and he built bigger barns, and he stored it up so that he could eat, drink, and be merry. And I think a lot of us get stuck in that rut. After I build my bigger barn, after I can eat, drink, and be merry, and I don't have to worry about all this other stuff, then I'll serve God. Then I'll get serious about my relationship with Christ. But until then, I'm just going to do this. You know, today may be the very last time you ever hear the gospel. Today may be the last chance that you have a chance to respond to the gospel. Um, A lot of times when we hear the gospel and the next time we hear it, uh, it hardens our heart if we do not respond today. It hardens our heart. And we're less likely to respond um, in a positive way to the gospel if we continue to wait. If we continue to let it harden our hearts. Now, I'm not saying God can't break you. I'm not saying that God can't put you through suffering or misery or allow those things to happen to you to get your attention. I've seen that happen in many people's lives. But he may not. He may choose to just let it go. Wisdom tells us that the time for salvation is today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. I think it's on the screen. It says, I tell you now, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day for salvation. Lost opportunities cannot be regained. So I just want to encourage you, if you are here today, and uh, we're going to talk about the gospel here in a second, but if this is the first or the hundredth time that you've heard the gospel and you've never responded to it, I just want to encourage you. Today may be the last time you ever hear the gospel. Maybe Jesus will return today. Maybe Jesus chooses to take you home today. Whatever the case may be, it may be the last time you hear it. And lost opportunities cannot be regained. Thirdly, the Lord will come without warning. This morning, as uh, my wife, you could just continue to pray for her because she's going to have to drive me around for at least two to four more weeks. And uh, she's at the end of her rope. But this morning, she we get into the car, and of course, you hear that sound. Boom! Ah, almost out of gas, right? And we all have these warning signals on our cars now that tells us we're almost out of gas. And then I said, "How many more miles do you have, right?" And she hits a little button. It tells her you have 44 more miles. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty nice to be able to say, "I can go 44 more miles. I'm good." But it's good not to push it, right? Because we all know that even though you're going two miles, it may take ten miles off the gauge. And you're like, I don't even know how that works. But You know what's amazing to me? How many times people will see the low warning light, the low fuel light, and they'll look at the mileage and try to take it down as far as they can before they stop into the gas station to fill it up, Right? Anybody ever have a car that you didn't have one of those gauges and you just kind of like, it's, it's on E, but I know that I can take it past the red line before it really gets close, right? I can take it a little farther. There are tons of warnings all throughout the Bible that tell us we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, and yet we continue to lie to ourselves and say we got all the time in the world. We have all the time in the world. Jesus will come without warning when he returns on earth or the day of your death. He will come without warning. And I hope that we're ready. So this is the point of the parable. Let's look at these points of the parable. Are we ready? Let me just say this. Readiness is not fretfulness. Readiness is not fretfulness. Like the followers of camping, like the followers of Miller... Um, Matthew 25 tells us to be on alert for you do not know the day or the hour. These guys got a following of people and they were fretful. Sell all your stuff. Uh, you know, they actually have a TV show called Doomsday Preppers and these guys are anticipating maybe a zombie apocalypse or they're, uh, maybe there's going to be a nuclear war and they're like, I'm going to survive it. I, I if there's a nuclear war, I don't want to survive it. Just take me. Uh, I don't want to live in the ground in a hole and, uh. But readiness is not fretfulness. And us being ready has nothing to do with us being worried about it, us uh, fretting over it, like all the Y2K fanatics. I thought it was uh, humorous when you would go to HEB and there was never any bottled water or canned food. It was all gone. It's like people thought there's going to be no more food. So how do we be ready? We've heard this parable on the teaching of the end time, how can we be ready? How can we, as it calls us to be on alert, how can we be ready? How can we be prepared for our ultimate encounter with God? Uh, It's found in the gospel. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at what the gospel, what it means to hear the gospel, what it means to accept the gospel, what does it look like? Number one, we have to understand that God is holy. Holy. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You know, there are several scriptures uh, in Isaiah and Revelation and other places in the Bible that try to give us a glimpse of what it's like to know the holiness of God, to experience the holiness of God. The prophet Isaiah says, woe is me, I am ruined. So we have to understand, first of all, that God is holy. Secondly, we have to understand that we are not. Man is sinful. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. And that creates a huge divide between us and God. But luckily, God loves us enough to make a way. So number three, Jesus is the answer. Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way. Number four, repent and believe. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We're to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We're to believe that God is holy. We need to understand that we are sinful. We need to understand that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be our Savior. And we have to repent, meaning turning from our old lifestyle, believing who Jesus is, and accepting him as our Lord and Savior, trusting and walking in that. I told Landon this week that I was going to add to the gospel. And he goes, oh, careful, careful. But I cleared it through. him, So number five, continue. Continue. First bullet point there. See, we need to seek, continue to seek to know God. Continue to seek to know God. One of the ways that we can know that we are ready. One of the ways that we can know we are ready to meet God face to face, that we are ready, if Jesus were to return today, is that we are doing these things we're about to talk about. And the first thing is we are continuing to seek to know God. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We can seek to know God by reading his word. We can seek to know God by speaking with him. That's called prayer. We can continue to seek to know God by coming to church and fellowshipping with his people. So one of the ways we can know that we're ready is that we see that we're seeking to know God. Secondly, we continue to grow in our love for God. I love the passage in John 15 where they're talking about, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And it goes down in 15.9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And he's talking about we are to stay connected with him. And as we are stay connected with him, we, you, you can see growth in someone's life. You know, I don't have to, um, we can look at our own lives Uh, You're your own worst critic, I promise. Uh, Maybe your wife is the second one, but you're the worst one, I promise, right? You know whether you're growing in the Lord or not. I I don't have to tell you. You know. And some of you right here are thinking to yourself, "Eh, I'm better than that guy, right? We know. We know whether we're growing in the Lord. So, we seek to know God. Secondly, we grow in our love for God. Thirdly, we serve Christ and His church. Service. You know, all throughout the Bible, we will see Jesus commanding us to serve. He commands us to go. He commands us to serve, to love His people. uh, And He wants us to serve in His church. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work. And the love that you have shown for his name by serving the saints, as you still do. He expects us to serve his people. He expects us to serve his church. I know many of us, we are connected in service and we serve around the church. Maybe we serve around the world. But we are called to. And it's one of the defining factors of how we know we are continuing to know God. And continue to know that we're ready. For our uh, meeting with Him. Fourthly, uh, we obey His commands. This one's a hard one, right? We're still teaching our three and five-year-old to obey, right? Sometimes they just don't understand. Obey. And I think (laughs) there's been many times in uh, trying to teach my son Isaiah how to obey. That I said, why don't you just obey? I don't understand why you don't just obey. And then I hear God go... (coughs) I'm like, okay, yes, Lord. Why don't you just obey? Why don't you just do what I tell you to do? This is a true sign if, if we are his disciples, that we obey his commands. John 14, 15 and John 15, 14. These are two verses that kind of go together. It's kind of funny that they flopped on the, on the numbers there. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Fifteen fourteen says, if you are my friends... Uh, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Very specific. If you love me, you'll obey. If you're my friends, you will obey. Last point we have to pursue holiness. Let me just, again, there is a book that Landon's talked about in several sermons called The Pursuit of Holiness. It's probably one of my top five favorite books that I've ever read. And I'm actually in, right now, I'm rereading it. It's just a good reminder that I am to pursue God. I'm to pursue the holiness. God tells us, be holy because I am holy. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we seek to know God. We grow in our love for God. We serve Christ and his church. We obey his commands. And we pursue holiness. Christianity is not a one moment religion. You don't just walk down an aisle. And you pray a prayer. And you get baptized. And you're good. It's not a one moment religion. That you accept Jesus. And you get to do whatever you want. With the rest of your life. That's not how it works. And I know there are. A lot of people, as we saw in this scripture, it says, many who think that that's good enough. You know, one of the sad realities is that we've done lots of funerals um, for people who thought it was all good. And we've heard from family members as they've said, you know, I know they're good because in whatever year at a vacation Bible school, they got saved and they got baptized. It may not look like their life may not reflect it now, but I know they were good because of that moment. And that is a scary place to be. Now, I, I'll just say this. I'm not one to say yes, they were or no, they weren't. That's between them and God, not me. But if you look at how, the things that God tells us on how disciples look, how we are to act, how, what type of life are we living, what does it look like? We know what it looks like to be ready. We know what it looks like to be ready. So when you receive Jesus as Lord, you're receiving Jesus as Lord for the rest of your life, not for just a single moment. So we are to continue to seek to know God. We're to continue to grow in our love for God, to continue to serve Christ and his kingdom. We're to continue to obey his commands. And we are to continue for the rest of our lives to pursue holiness. Like we said, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we wait expectantly and we continue doing what he's called us here to do. You know, if you've heard uh, this today uh, and you're thinking to yourself, man, uh, I've accepted Jesus and I know I've accepted Jesus, but I'm having a rough time doing those things you talked about. I don't really seek him. Maybe I don't spend any time reading his word. I'm lousy at praying. The only time I pray is uh, when we pray for a meal, maybe. Maybe today is a, just a time to refocus for you. You know, and you can do that here in a minute. We're going to give uh, an invitation, and you can come down and pray. You can pray right where you sit. And, but it may be t- a time for you to refocus and to start doing what God has called you to do. That way, you have no doubt that you 're ready when God returns when Jesus returns, but now you may be here today and you 're like this whole God is holy, and Jesus is the answer, and I know i 'm a sinner, but i just i 've never accepted jesus 's gift of salvation, and if that 's you, uh, we would love to to talk to you about that uh, myself and a few pastors will be down front here in a moment, and we would love to talk to you about that um, if you 've never done that so Uh, The band's going to come up, and as they come up to sing this last song, I just want you to um, think about where you stand. Think about whether or not you're ready. And think about whether you're ready to meet Jesus whenever that day happens to happen. Uh, But if you need to talk to a pastor, please come down and do that. Let's all stand. And let me pray. And after that, you respond. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your gospel. We we thank you for uh, the chance for salvation that you offer to us. And God, we just ask that whether we are um, a first-time believer, whether we've believed our whole lives, I pray that we truly examine our lives and that we, we know whether or not we're ready. And if we're not, I pray that we do everything in our power to get ready. I pray that you would do a work in our life so that we could become fully developed followers of of Jesus. Help us to do your will today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.